Hello, Gary Williams here. Welcome to my In Conversation podcast, a mishmash of chit-chats with friends and influencers across the world. Now, a few years ago, I was hosting a UK radio show where each guest would choose four songs and tell me why they were important to them. Now, due to music copyright issues, I can't share any of that music with you here just the conversation. So the music's gone, which might sound a bit weird sometimes, but I think it's still worth listening to what these great guests had to say. Enjoy. In Conversation with Gary Williams. Today's guest is an award-winning writer, journalist and broadcaster. He writes about uh, politics, the arts and fashion, pretty much everything but sport. But his first love is food and fortunately for him is the restaurant critic for The Observer. You've probably seen him on the telly as well. Things like MasterChef, he did uh, Channel 4's Dispatches and he's the host of Radio 4's The Kitchen Cabinet. He is Jay Rayner and he plays the piano. Who knew? Welcome to In Conversation. Nice to be here. So, are we more likely to find you at home uh, in the kitchen or at the piano? Uh, I move between the two. They are on a kind of diagonal across the house. (laughs) So, I do cook a lot at home, but I also have a lovely room at the front of the house with a lovely grand piano, which I acquired a couple of years ago. And actually, just getting that instrument was vital for the development of my playing. Sometimes the the actual instrument you play on is very, very important. Every now and then for gigs, someone will come back and say, we have a digital piano. And it's like, no, that's not happening. I play an acoustic (laughs) piano. Um, You're becoming a diva already. No, I'm not. I'm I'm not. I mean, uh, well, I just think if you're going to do this, this is not my main job. I mean, I do tour and do a lot of live performance. I do a sort of one-man show comedy thing we can talk about later. But with the piano, I don't do an enormous amount of it, and I want to do it to the best of my abilities. I did once uh, on one gig get accused when when the, the contract basically says Yamaha C1 or equivalent, which is a baby grand. And they said, oh, we've seen your blue smarty list, as if this was a, a, a diva point. I said, the reason people let me ask for a baby grand is eyeline. You cannot lock eyes with the rest of your musicians across an upright. Because or even the like, audience. When it, well, an upright just is a brick wall in front of you. Baby grand gives you line of sight. And that's so you what should you travel need. with a saw, just in case. Uh, yeah, just take the top of the And piano. have you managed to find a way of combining these two passions of food and music in your oh, work? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm very, very clear that I have... I'm very privileged in the sense that there is an audience who are willing, perhaps out of curiosity, although it's, it's moving, it's changing, but to come out and see that guy we've seen on MasterChef who says he can play the piano. Um, with a very good quartet, I have to say. I have a brilliant bassist, Rob Rickenberg, brilliant saxophonist, Dave Lewis, and a superb singer, Pat Gordon-Smith. We'll talk about her. Um, but I do songs of food. There are a lot of good food songs. Uh, Black Coffee is a brilliant example. Um, uh, you know, One for My Baby, The Ultimate Drunk Song, Cantaloupe Island, Save the Bones for Henry Jones. Um, Frim Fram Sauce. I can go through it. There is a repertoire of food and songs. So they're all sort of jazz Oriented standards, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And food turns up in other places. I've wined and dined on Mulligan stew, but never want for turkey ale, which is the opening to Ladies of Tramp. Ladies of Tramp, which not an enormous number of people sing the the opening verse. Um, I bet Pat does. Uh, w- yes, although that one got dumped. We used to do it. We don't do it anymore. And Pat's your wife. Yes, Pat is my wife. And she said, "Now, what a coincidence! Did you? Did you? Did she? Was she chosen? Because did you audition chosen. her? Did you audition her? No, Pat, you can sing, Pat so you've got I, the job." Yeah, Pat and I have been together since Leeds University. We met in late 1986, so 30 years ago. I was cast in a student production of Cabaret. 
as a transvestite, which meant wearing a wig. And at that point, I sh- basically cut all my hair off. But now it's kind of quite... And when she saw that, she was in love. Oh, I'm sure. But, I mean, she's really good. And <laughs> what a coincidence. I mean, I, what no, what I, good I, luck. I, I, it is good luck. And you're, you're right, she's really, really good. You heard her sing when we, we worked together at um, Zadell. Um, and I don't think what I'm doing would work without her. I'm an OK pianist, and I do some solo work during my shows as well, and I also do just pure instrumentals. But there is, um, you know, Pat has trained with the likes of Leanne Carroll and Claire Foster. She is actually an academic publisher, funnily enough. She always said that she had thought about it early on, because she was, you know, drama schools and, and training were part of the possibility, but she didn't reckon she could stay up late enough to do it professionally. <laughs> it's a serious issue. You know how late you have to stay up. So we now, we now gig maybe 25, 30 times a year. And, and you it, stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning, sitting in your, your tour bus. Or not as the case may be. We did, we've done Ronnie Scott's a couple of times, the Sunday lunch gig, which was an absolute thrill. And the funny thing is that one finishes at sort of 3.30. We, we were sold out, hooping, cheering, roaring crowds, great gigs. And then we got in a cab, went home and had to get the kids' tea on. That's kind of fun. That's showbiz. <laughs> That's middle-aged showbiz. Middle, middle-aged showbiz. You've, done, you've just played Ronnie Scott's, one of the greatest jazz club in Britain, and then you go on and put the kids' tea on. Tell me about your first record choice. You make me feel so young. This is um, Gene Harris uh, with his ensemble. Um, you make me feel so young is a, is a great classic. But when people talk about pianist swinging, people aren't necessarily sure what they mean. I think this is one of the greatest pieces of swing piano you will ever hear. Um, He is a virtuoso of the first order. I've been trying to learn this song for a very long time, and all I can hear is this recording in my head and how far away from it I am. I have got onto Gene Harris because of you, and since you suggested this record, I've downloaded all of his albums, and I'm absolutely loving him because he does. He swings like crazy, and I love that... It's sort of a deceptively simple sound, isn't it? It's just quite clean, uh, but it, it's, it reminds me of Oscar Peterson. In oh, many there, ways. there is a lot of that, although the one sort of criticism, or it's a taste issue with Peterson, is that he can sometimes be so detailed you lose thread of where he's going. You never lose thread with, with Harris. Have you listened to his version of Summertime yet, which yes, is have. monumental and very, very famous, and it goes off in many different directions. Um, and is extraordinary. I recommend everybody to listen to that. In one of your recent reviews I, I read, you, you said, inside every restaurant critic picking at their plate of roast swan is a filthy, dirty food slut fighting to get out. I think that's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, you can't do this job, the job of reviewing a restaurant every week, which I've done for 18 years, unless you are greedy. Um, now, uh, and I mean that in a purely sort of technical way, the business of going out to a restaurant once a week, or in my case, maybe a couple. Um, that's not what my job is about. I'm paid for how I write, not how I eat. But I think to have a persona that interests people, to have the broad taste that you need, because there's no point if you're just vain daining all the way or just French or whatever, you do have to be a greedy swine. And I am. I go to the gym a lot to try and mitigate it. I kick the carbs recently, drop the you know, drop the booze to try. Every now and then I have to do something to rebalance myself. 
because I do have this metabolism engineered for the Russian steppes when the Cossacks <laughs> are coming, you know, to store the calories. But do you think, so the, the, the actual knowledge of, of food or of the restaurants uh, is, is secondary to having an entertaining writing style? No, 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 no. You've got to be authoritative. It is, it is a job of journalism. And you do know what you're talking about I when it comes to food and restaurants? Yes, I think I do. Um, I've been doing you know, something that just has come from you just like to eat no, other I've, restaurants. I, I've, I've always loved restaurants. My mother loved them. My father, not so much. But my late mother adored restaurants. She adored the theatre of them and had this thing of once a year, each one of the three kids, the three siblings, would be treated as an only child and we'd go off for dinner with, or lunch with her mother. Um, and she... Um, what a nice idea. It is, isn't it? Sitting in The Simpsons on the Strand, not far away from here, up on Maiden Lane, just the other side of the Strand, is a restaurant called Rules. Um, and that's been there it's been since, a long time. Yeah, it's been there since 1797, 98, whatever. And my mother wrote a series of novels set um, about two families, a theatrical and a medical family, um, set from the 1780s to the present, uh, to the Second World War. And rules existed throughout all of those 12 novels. And so she set a scene in that restaurant in every book. And it was still one of her favourite places. So rules... And funnily enough, just along the way, Joe Allen were the two restaurants where I learned to eat. Tell me about your next record. Michel Petrucciani uh, was an extraordinary pianist. Um, he was afflicted from birth with a, with a congenital disease which uh, caused him osteoporosis in all his bones. He, he fractured a hundred of them by the time he was 12, I think, um, and also restricted his growth. He was a dwarf. Um, he often said that this... Uh, condition were, had benefits because it meant he didn't get distracted by sport and things like that. The thing that interested him was music. His family was very musical. Um, and he worked at the piano and was something of a prodigy. He didn't live beyond his late 30s. But this particular tune is, I think, beautiful. It shows how simplicity can be extraordinarily effective. There are basically just five phrases, most of them repeating. Um, with a little orchestral crash of chords in a, in a middle eight. But there's a groove here which is just irresistible. You, you mentioned your mum earlier on, and I didn't know what a prolific writer she was. I mean, most people know her as being an agony aunt, but, I mean, she, she was a prolific writer. She, she published over 100 books, um, a, a number that I could never compete with. I'm, I'm up to number 10. <laughs> um, and I know that by this point... By my age in her life, she was well beyond that. So with her love of food and the theatre of restaurants and her writing, well, she's clearly had a great influence on you. Yes, although people always assume that I had this great ambition to be a restaurant critic, and I didn't. I had... you were writing about other things Oh, first. other things. I know I was a, um, a general journalist and, in my time, quite a hard news reporter. I covered murders, I covered politics, and it was a matter of pride, and still is actually, that you could put me on the street with all the other hacks, with uh, this notebook in my back pocket now, and that I could still do that job. And in fact, at the point when the editor of the Observe magazine said, I'd, I'd love you to do this, um, do this job, uh, the editor of the paper tried to stop me because I was their news feature writer. It was a particular job. You get tasked on Wednesday lunchtime with a subject of the week, and you'd have to deliver two and a half thousand nicely honed words with live reporting by the end of Friday. And, uh, dare I said, not everybody could do it. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, and it, and it was something that had taken me a long time to learn how to do. And he feared that if I became the restaurant critic, I would get diverted to entirely into food. 
He was absolutely right. <laughs> it's much more fun, isn't it? Well, it's not just that. It was actually that I needed a specialism. I'd, I'd been a general journalist. I was changing subject every week, every day, and I was exhausted. Um, which sounds a bit grandiose for someone I would have been in my, you know, 30s. You must but, have learned a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm brilliant on a quiz team, as yeah. long as it's not ridiculous contemporary culture or football. But, you know, I've, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a repository of utter crap in this head of mine. Um, and what was it like growing up with a famous agony aunt as a mum? Was it what people think it might be, that she's always there giving you all the advice that no, you no, need? No, 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 because or... she's still your mother and you're, you're not going to go to her with your problems. But the, the, the overriding element, actually, is a little bit more, if I may say, sort of show-busy, in that she loved collecting people and she loved noise. And um, I met a lot of very, very interesting people. Uh, you know, I mentioned Joe Allen's, which became the... F oh, I went there first when I was ten with them in 1977, and we... It's quite showbiz in itself. It, it, totally showbiz, and, you know, I, I, it sounds... Uh, looking back on it, it was hilarious. You'd have dinner with both Lionel Blair and Eunice Stubbs at the same table. <laughs> but the really interesting thing was that all these careers, between my, both my parents, my father as well... Um, so my father was uh, an actor. He'd been in Tony Quayle's company at Stratford uh, before the, just before the RSC was formed. Um, he was a painter, very good painter, represented on Cork Street and so forth. And then my mother's agent. My mother was a novelist, a non-fiction writer, a broadcaster, a newspaper columnist. And between them, I saw a whole bunch of careers which to many other people might look unobtainable, appearing as totally normal. So if, if you're going to think, what am I going to be when I grow up? Look at what your parents are doing. Anything's possible. Do you enjoy the celebrity status that you have? Do you like the, do you like the spotlight? I, I, am, I am in a, a kind of a weird position with this one, partly because I grew up with it. So, um, you know, my wife describes walking behind me with our boys, if we're walking along Crowded Street, in a bow wave, which is so the people walking towards us won't say anything or do any eye contact until they've just gone past, at which point they'll all point. And I remember exactly that when I was when I was a kid walking behind my mother. Um, it has its advantages. It's fun. I mean, the, the one thing I've always been uh, insistent upon, in a way, is that it should be underpinned by real work. Celebrity, for its own sake, is a pain in the ass. But I, 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 if I'm going to be well-known, I'd like to be well-known for being a good writer or a good pianist or a good performer or someone who actually does something with substance. There was, I was offered one very, very big TV gig at one point, which I turned down on the grounds that it was a little too much just mouthing off and that I saw it as a very quick route to obscurity. I'm insistent on it having, you know, underpinnings. Because part of your shtick is sort of mouthing off, isn't it? Well, yes, but you've got to form it carefully. I mean, people, you know, one of the things you mentioned, I do MasterChef, I'm, the, I'm one of the critics there. And you've Is got it fair to say that you're sort of the Simon Cowell of the critics? I mean, that you, no, you like I, to I sort of give, give people a hard I time. Think you, you say it as it is. I mean, you've got William Sitwell there. He'll, he'll, he'll give it a bashing as well. <laughs> Look, the, the, the reality is that we're sitting there for five hours. Now, every single one of the opinions I express is my opinion. I never come up with something just because I think it would be nice and controversial. But TV is a visual communications medium, and what matters is how well you say it. Because if I'm going to sit there for five hours doing this job, I want as much of me on the screen and as little of my colleagues on the screen. So I will work to make sure that I've said something 
clever, witty, funny if it's positive, damning if it's not. It is entertaining to read sort of scathing reviews, isn't it? What happened was somebody proposed that I publish a collection of all my journalism. Not all of it, but, you know, a, a selection. And I think, actually, nothing ages quicker than journalism. It's a very self-regarding thing to do. And in any case, I remember just saying to this publisher, in any case, the only thing they'll want to read is the section of negative restaurant reviews. A little while later, I thought, sod it, I'll do that. Do you, do you ever feel bad? I mean... I am very, very specific that um, I'm not going to break the butterfly on the wheel. If it's a small mum-and-pop mum operation, I'll let them fail all by themselves. Usually, if I go to... I don't go looking for them. I really don't. They're like colds and car crashes. They happen to me. When I do my research, I'm on the lookout for something good. Um, however, there is a category of opening in London, which is a bit like a big West End show, which is... And I was theatre critic at one point. If there's a big West End opening, then you have to go to it. And if there's a big West End restaurant opening, you have to go to it. And some of those are, the, are where, you know, the real problems kick in. And they're the kind of places that have got a lot of money behind them, they're throwing everything at it, and they can, they're big enough to take it. And they think they're the dogs, and, that, and they're going to charge you enormous amounts of money, and, and that nothing makes me angrier than that. So, no, no I, I don't have a problem. Tell me about your next record. You, you mentioned Leanne Carroll earlier on as, as, as being one of the, the tutors yes. of your wife, Pat. Yeah, and... It can't um, get much better than that. No, you, it can't, can it? Um, and also, dare I say, it's this really uh, cheesy thing, and a dear personal friend of mine now. One of the lovely things I discovered... Quick sideline. One of the lovely things I discovered, and the reason I got to learn to play piano the way I have, is that jazz musicians care about their dinner. They're on the road a lot, and dinner matters. And we don't want lasagna. And they don't want lasagna. And it turns out that a lot of them are readers of my column. So that when it was proposed that I should sit in with them on various gigs at various places, they generally said yes. I got to play with in, in, enormously brilliant people. Leanne was someone I got to know on the circuit, and she's, she, she's a lovely, lovely person and a brilliant performer. Brilliant, isn't she? I think she is probably, dare I say it, the best female jazz singer in, in the country. Other than Pat, of course. Uh, no, Leanne Carroll is better than my wife, and I don't think my wife would have a problem with me saying that. <laughs> I had been looking at this song that turned up on her, um, her last album, Seaside, um, and it's Bring Me Sunshine, which we all know from Morecambe and Wise, as it was their closing number. And I'd been looking at it and thinking, this is... This sings straight is a straightforward sing, but actually to play it's surprisingly complicated. Mm. It, it confused me. It's just a bit fiddly and repeats back and forth. And I put it aside. And then this album came out with the most beautiful re-engineering of the song, rearrangement imaginable. Leanne is a brilliant pianist, but on this one, piano duties are taken by Mark Edwards. This is really, really very clever because the chords are, are pretty straightforward, but the voicings on this are glorious and it's soft and gentle. Tell me about the Ten Food Commandments. This is your latest... Yes. ..and possibly greatest project. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is. So, the Ten Food Commandments, it's a book of ten essays built around a commandment. So it's things like, Thou shalt eat with thy hands, uh, thou shalt worship leftovers, thou shalt choose thy dining companions bloody carefully, thou shalt covet thy neighbour's oxen, um, and each one is the jumping-off point for an essay about a particular cultural issue around food. And these haven't been published elsewhere. This isn't a collection no, of no, no, music, no, but this is all new stuff. It's all new stuff. What's great about this is these are 5,000-word essays of a length that actually no newspaper would say, yes, I'll take 5,000 words on leftovers. They wouldn't, even though it's absolutely scintillating. It includes a literature review. It's a, it's a lot of academic study in there making the point. And then there's recipes at the end. 
uh, which grow out of it. Um, you know, things like covet thine own is oxen. My argument is that food culture develops because you want to eat the thing you see on your neighbour's plate. Uh, and if it wasn't, it's true, isn't yeah, it? it's, it's, the, it's the best case. chip is the chip stolen from your neighbour's plate. <laughs> um, we watch food programmes because we want to see what's out there. We are restless as a re- as a species. But do you think a lot of that is sort of aspirational? Because it seems to me that a lot of people buy recipe books and never even open them. No, they open them and they look at the pages and then they don't cook, they don't seem to cook from them. But they take ideas. A lot of recipe books, modern recipe books, are very unpackable. Some of them are just pure porn. You know, we look at it, we don't do it. That's all right. Um, Makes you think about things. But maybe it'll start making you think about certain ingredients in a different way. Do you work from a recipe book yourself? No, I tend not to. And in fact, this is the first time I've ever written recipes. I, I, I use method books a lot. Um, you know, how long should I be cooking that piece of lamb for? So it's kind of by instinct, you're kind of making it, you know, the, you've got the gist, but... Well, you know. I, I, I have various fundamentals. I know about sourcing and how to make sauces and how long you should cook certain things for. Sure, but the combination um, of flavours, you sit there and, and just figure that out for yourself. Yeah, although, you know, I eat out a lot, and so I I'm, I'm, can piggyback on the inventiveness of very clever chefs. I'm quite good at eating a dish, working out how it's done, and bringing it home. And what's your um, favourite recipe in the new book? Well, I think there, there, ooh, there are a few, because a lot of these are just recipes that I've done for a while. Um, it would be a toss-up between the braised shoulder of lamb. I love, you know, when winter comes and having a big shoulder of lamb in the oven, braising in a liquor of red wine and chorizo and a little brown sugar for seven hours until it's surrendered to the liquor. That's a marvellous, marvellous thing. That and the chicken wings, which I do in a mixer of fennel seed, lemon and garlic. And you cook them until they're crisp and then you let them cool a bit and then you eat them with your hands. So when people buy tickets to come and see you performing on your yeah. tour, what are we going to get? I mean, is it you talking? <laughs> are you playing? Are you I, cooking? No, are we no. eating? What I, what I do is I use audiovisual things as a second performer on stage. I use video. I, I, and it's basically 55 minutes of stand-up. It's just you? Just me. Do you play uh, as well? Play um, occasionally. If there's a good piano If there's the a theater. good piano. So the, uh, uh, to what, the beginning of the first half, I actually put up a, a, a Twitter handle, invite the audience to come up with their own food commandments. And that leads into the second half, which is Q&A. And um, they'll have, you know, sent me theirs. And you're I'm quite good on your feet, aren't you? Dealing with sort of those oh, yeah. questions that go so thrown you. At you. You, know, you know how to play a room. Um, and it, it, it's something either you know you can do or you can't. If there is a good piano in the venue, I sometimes do a couple of tunes right at the end. It's a way of just sort of bringing things to an end and saying, I also do this. Tickets available on my website, jrayner.co.uk. <laughs> in Conversation with Gary Williams. Tell me about your last record, Handful of Keys. Well, this is really where it all started, actually. Um, it's not... a great title for a song, isn't it? Handful of Keys, it's fantastic. 1978, 79, my parents go to New York uh, for my father the first time. I didn't know my mother had been in New York when she was a teenager, but this was the first time she'd returned as a proper adult. And they went to see a Broadway show called Ain't Misbehaving. The Fat Swallow. Yeah, the Fat Swallow. It was one of the first sort of jukebox musicals, mm. actually. And I remember listening to this time and time and time again, and that brilliant three-handed thing that Fats stride piano uh, is extraordinary. Um, and... I wanted to be able to do it. I can't. I'm not bad, actually, as a stride pianist. I'm quite good. I've got a good, strong left hand. My accuracy up to the top is not bad. Um, but this one, Handful of Keys, monumental. I'll never be able to play it. But I listened to this 
and thought, ooh, I wish I could do that. One day. One day. Jay Rayner, thanks for talking to us today. Pleasure. It's been great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch and hear more interviews just like this one, head over to my website, garywilliams.co.uk.